Hello everybody and welcome back to The Meaning Complex. In this episode, I'm speaking with my friend Nina Cataldo about the unique challenges of mixed race people in Japan and how more and more Japan is opening up to the influences of other cultures while not giving up its traditions. Well, in the West, in countries like you know the U.S., U.K., Australia, there's such a uh, strong history of you know immigration and you know different diasporas of people going over there. But Japan was closed off, gated off from the rest of the world as an island nation for so long, and um, doesn't have as long and prominent of a history of immigration. So. Because of that history in itself, it's already quite homogenous, and it still is now. You know, right? To what extent yeah. as well? Because I think um, in Japan, I've read somewhere that the the so the population is about 120 million, mm-hmm. and um, there are about three million um, like people from either China, like Chinese or Korean descent in Japan, mm-hmm. um, and even looking at that first as an issue is that in Japan, people who are even like a uh, second generation or third generation Korean born living in Japan are not considered Japanese citizens. Yeah, it's horrible. They're called Zainichi Koreans and they have a special passport that's, I guess, technically Korean passport, but it's like the special one for so-and-so generation of Koreans in Japan. And so they're treated as foreigners living in Japan and have to go and renew their visa every three years or so, like many expats do and other immigrants do, which is completely unfair. If you think right, about even if they were born yeah. here. Yeah, exactly. Even if they're born here, only know Japanese, um, you know, have never been to Korea. It happens very often you hear those stories. Yeah, and it's really different coming from the UK or the US where um, especially in the US, it's like if you're born there, then you're an American. Whereas in yeah. Japan, if you're born here, that doesn't necessarily make you Japanese. And it and it's not really clear where the boundary is, right? Like yeah. it's not clear that um, people who are born here and have one Japanese parent or uh, maybe both of their parents are non-Japanese, where they are from, how they right. can be understand their own identity in that sense. Because right. I've got friends who are, both their parents are Korean. They grew up in Japan and they don't speak Korean. And so they've, they've lived here their whole lives. They speak Japanese and they struggle to get accepted as, as a member of this culture, as a member of this community. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even, um, so a lot of people, if they've lived here for over 10 years, they can be eligible for a permanent residency. But even with that, it's still a quite limited Uh, citizenship compared to say you know taking your test for your green card or permanent residency and becoming an American citizen the process is different and there's still a lot of limitations to it for example um, right now with the borders being closed due to the world you know what's happening with the pandemic um, I've had a friend's dad who is a permanent resident who's been living here for over 20-25 years but he had to go back to the U.S. to take care of his his parents and he they told him that he they don't know if they can let him back in even though he's lived here for 20 25 years and has permanent resident residency wow so it's just like you're still treated with discrimination you're still treated as a foreigner it's just japan is it, it is a very huge binary system of you either are or you aren't and 
Um, so they, they can't allow the in-between gray zone type of people, even with the mixed race Japanese people, they, they view us as not Japanese because we're not fully Japanese. Right. And they even have the, the word for it, hafu, which, um, as you've talked about before, about having your organization, hafu ladies, where you're trying to take back that word as something empowering Mm -hmm. for people who are of mixed race or mixed descendant in, um, in Japan. So, um, Try. I, I know for a lot of people, they don't really understand how this works in Japan, but mm-hmm. um, how is discrimination against people who are of mixed heritage in Japan, how is that different from how it is in other countries where you know there there's obviously like around the world, there are different mm-hmm. forms of, of racism, discrimination, but in Japan, it seems like it's a really unique thing, discriminating against um, Hafu children. Yeah, it's... Um... It's interesting. So I grew up in the U.S., so that's really the only other comparable country I have. But the U.S. is a melting pot. It's an immigrant nation. And so everyone is, you know, mixed, um, whether they're, you know, European mix or Asian and Caucasian, Black. Um, You know, the background, there's so much mixture in there for a lot of people in the United States. And so I've never really felt like I was very different from others around me in the US. But in Japan, again, it's this purity thing and this homogeneity that you either are or aren't. So if you aren't fully Japanese, then they just view you as a foreigner. And with the Hafus, we're in the middle. You know, we're not Japanese enough, but maybe there's maybe even Japanese people see that they're a little bit in between, you know, for, for example, like Harry Potter and Mudbloods, right? Like <laughs> you're a mixture of the two. So I think as a child, um, a lot of Japanese kids can't really understand that someone could be Japanese and something else or mixed because there's not a lot of examples around them. And so when there's a a lot of unknown uncertainty in Japan, having the highest uncertainty avoidance in the world, I think people get confused and become a little fearful and use that against others. So Uh, I wasn't sure what you meant by uncertainty avoidance. What is that? So Japan if they're not certain of anything by a hundred percent, they just avoid it. So, you know, when you ask a question, for example, you know, uh, when, when will this package be delivered? And in the U S a lot of times people, and maybe in the UK too, people will be like, Oh, you know, it'll be delivered tomorrow or the day after something like that. And give that sort of ambiguous, but answer and in Japan, they won't even answer that. Oh, I don't know. I can't tell you because I'm not certain of the answer. Right. Yeah. There's actually a funny, um, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Yuriko Kotani. She's a Japanese comedian mm-hmm. um, who she said uh, when she lived in the UK, we have this word ish mm-hmm. where we say like, um, I'll see you at one ish. And it means kind of like sometime around one. Right. But in Japanese, there's no word for like roughly one o'clock, like right, more right, or less right. one o'clock. And sure. so she said in Japanese to her mum, like, I'll see you sometime between one and one fifteen. And her mum just like looked at her with like, utter confusion <laughs> right yeah yeah, yeah. Right. so there yeah it, it goes back to the you know the binary yes or no system this or that system it has to either be uh you know one or the other there's no in between so with that i think um 
kids and adults see someone who maybe you know speaks Japanese or vaguely looks familiarly Japanese, but then they also look different or they're speaking another language, and then and then kids, adults even get、uh, confused. Don't really know what to do with that information, and as as a result, like treat hafus, mixed race people, foreigners as、um, you know as the other category, and don't know how to relate to each other. And so, right, and、yeah. we've seen this with kind of、um, public figures in Japan, where there's a lot of controversy over certain public figures. Like for example,、uh, I think it's Ariana Miyamoto who was、mm-hmm. um, Miss Japan in two thousand. I don't. Want, I want to say like two thousand fourteen, two thousand fifteen, something like that. I think it was twenty fourteen.、Um, yeah, and so she. There was a lot of、um, backlash from Japanese people saying that she didn't represent Japan,、right. even though you know she grew up in Nagasaki. She was、uh, mixed race, but.、Um, They they weren't willing to accept that kind of person as Japanese, despite、um, being of Japanese heritage and living here and being part of the culture. And then on top of that, there's there's other people like um the there's very famous like um Rola who's like half Japanese and I think half Bangladeshi or something. Yes, yes.、Yeah, and she's very very famous and and she's she's everywhere visibly, but she's a very visible minority in in the sense that people kind of lift up that. Maybe that version of a halfu person is like, oh yeah, well they're very you know beautiful and and it's kind of like another way of othering them, right? So this is my theory behind that. Actually,、um, is that with Ariana Miyamoto, she I I admire her. She's really well spoken in Japanese,、um, really you know a great、uh, respectful figure. But her winning Miss Japan was meant that other. Contestants who are Japanese did not win, so for her to get to the top, the Japanese people view as she got it over another Japanese woman, and therefore do not like it. But on the contrary, we have someone like Naomi Osaka, who is also half Black American Japanese, and she won medals for representing Japan for tennis, and therefore. They congratulate her and support her because they're because she is up there for Japan, you know, and didn't have to necessarily、uh, play against other Japanese at that level in order to get her title. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's kind、yeah. of like a、um, supporting people who are convenient in、yeah. representing Japan as opposed to having some kind of. Of blanket rule, yeah,、um, which seems like a it's a, like I said with、um, with the Rola example is that it's kind it's a kind of discrimination. It's like only will only support you if you're a certain kind of mixed race person. If、yeah. you if you represent our country in a way that we want, as opposed to the way that you want as an individual. Exactly. Yeah. So how does um your organization Hafu Ladies? How do you um how do you kind of help people who struggle with these kind of um Odd binaries in Japan, where you're either a Japanese person or not, and and how do you help them to kind of find their identity and and understand their identity in this really kind of unique situation? Right. So,、um, so Hafa Ladies exists as a community for mixed race and mixed heritage Japanese women. Now, I like to stress the fact that it's not for people who've who've only struggled with their identity because I think. Like myself, actually, yeah, there were moments when I didn't understand my identity and struggled with it or been bullied. But overall, I've had a really good, great upbringing and a pretty positive experience with my own identity. And so, it's 
for women to come together. It's a community where we can feel belonging and familiarity uh, without judgment around. And it's a community for women, by women, to empower each other, to understand that, um, you know, there's a strong sisterhood and to feel confident in ourselves, uh, first and foremost. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's just a, you know, it's just a community. People don't have to go through struggle in order to be in this community that I've created and we've created together. And um, I think that's really important to stress because when I talk about Hafu ladies, oftentimes, actually quite often recently, I've gotten comments from fathers of um, grown half Japanese women you know, women in their 20s, 30s with dads in their 50s, 60s saying, oh, my daughter has friends or she's confident, so she doesn't need a community like yours. And that comes off quite shocking to me because I think, you know, even if even a confident person, I think you need friends. And I think it's great to have a community. You know, there's nothing that's negative about that. So right. it's, it's not, that's, a re- yeah. that's a really interesting response, right? In a sense, like um, if you could understand or if, if it's possible to understand from a Japanese person's perspective where perhaps they, I'm sure like the, the foreigners already get used to living in Japan with some kind of social stigma. Mm-hmm. But the, the other parent who's the Japanese parent who sees their you know, mixed race child growing up and having to deal with um, some of the discrimination that they would face in Japan, especially in the school systems. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe f- from their perspective, part of it is that they want their child to be able to fit in with Japanese people. And rather than deciding that they're going to, maybe deciding that their identity is with mixed race people, which mm-hmm. makes it a very small pool of people that they can connect well with and and understand, um, that they would rather them to kind of push away their the identity, the part of themselves that right. is othered by Japanese society. Totally, like ignoring it so that they can fit in in other ways, right? Um, yeah, I think I think that is a possibility. I think that's why a lot of parents are more uncomfortable with the term hafu than the half mix or the mixed race people themselves. And right, and especially yeah. since that's a word that comes from the just like a, a katakana Japanese way of saying the word half which even by itself is like like being mixed race does not make you half of anything it's not like a it's not like you're you know half of a whole japanese person right it doesn't it's not like i have it's, half a passport yeah <laughs> <You know? laughs> right and it's not like you're you're half as good as a japanese person that's maybe what a lot of people um might hear when they hear the term half is like you're not whole yeah and i think we really need to get away from that because hafu spelled h-a-f-u is not half it's not h-a-l-f yes it is a word that stems from that word but it's got its complete own history its own contextual use and it's it's um evolved over time it started off as a derogatory term but as i've said before it is a word that i that a lot of us take pride in now take back the meaning of and it's not everyone in the community but a lot of people but when people hear me talk about this and then try to explain to me that oh you know just think about how you can't be half blah 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 and like try to explain to me explain it back to me using the word half h-a-l-f i 
to be honest, get pretty offended because I'm not using the word half. Yes, I'll right. use, you know, I'll say half Japanese because that is a statement and that can be true. Like I myself, I'm half Japanese, I'm 50% Japanese. But hafu in itself does not mean half in right. the context that we've you we use it now. Right. And it's interesting how um, that I think it comes down a lot to interpretation because a lot of mm-hmm. people can listen to that word and they can interpret it in a way that makes it offensive. Right. It's the right. same kind of thing with the word gaijin right. for foreigners here. And I've I, when I first came to Japan, I thought like, OK, I'm a gaijin. Like I, I heard the word and I thought, OK, so that's that's the word for foreigner here. OK, yeah. I get it. And then I would meet friends who would say, you know, when they say gaijin, it's rude and it's offensive and, and they would get upset by it. And it's interesting because I looked into this, the the history of the word gaijin actually comes from uh, Genji no Monogatari, oh, like the, the story of Genji. Yeah. And it's actually quite an old story. Um, it's, the, I think, the oldest Japanese story. And um, the the first instance of the word gaijin is, um, is used as a derogatory term for outsiders. Uh-huh. And it says, don't allow the gaijin to come into the yard where the children play. Mm. Um, and it's that's the first instance of the word in in uh, recorded use, and so there is like a connotation to it. But that doesn't mean that now in the world now where we meet people and and Japanese people mostly probably have no idea that that's the the source of this word, and um, most of them don't use it in a derogatory way. So it's really about intentions, um, and and then. Uh, when the way you interpret it yourself, if if you interpret it as offensive, then you're going to have a real struggle in Japan. Right. Yeah, and if if you know the kanji for it, it literally is you know outside human. So in that sense, you know outsider, um, mm. and and that can be that can be offensive, uh, and I completely understand that. But yeah, it is up to interpretation. It is. Um, you know, up to the context that it's used in as well. Same with hafu, and um, uh, and yeah, hafu and gaijin. I think when people, there are times I've heard of kids, people using those terms to actually offend someone, and that's unfortunate. And it doesn't make sense. It's to me, it's like yeah, like you know, calling someone like half half breed or half Japanese. Like I, I would say, you know, yeah, that's a fact. So what? and could, you know, uh, try to defend myself, but that's not the case for everybody. Right. So how important is it to have like communities like yours where people can not only talk about this, but maybe find ways to deal with it that Mm -hmm. aren't self-destructive, that don't lead to um, people like internalizing those voices? Because that's one of the things that I think a lot of people, especially parents of uh, mixed race kids in Japan, really worry about because there is a lot of uh, news out there about how difficult it is for uh, mixed race kids at school. Um, I have a lot of friends with with mixed race kids in Japan and how, how the struggle is really, it's, it's almost like it's a textbook, right? Like people react in a way that's so predictable. Um, like saying that, you know, they see their kid on the train, they're like, oh, he's so cute because they're mm. mixed race, right? Oh, like I there's, <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people really get frustrated with that. So I wonder like how important is it to have communities like yours where people can can find ways to deal with this without it becoming such a huge part of their, their daily lives, without it uh, interrupting the way they live their lives? Well, so first off, I think it's unavoidable that at some point in your life, you're going to have to talk about your identity and different aspects of your identity, you know, racial identity, gender identity, whatever it may be. It's something that as human beings, we are going to naturally have to confront. And so there's no point in not communicating about it and not confronting, in my opinion. And, you know, I think it is important to talk about it instead of sweeping it on, under the rug. 
And, uh, and th- that's why I think it's important for parents to expose their kids to communities like mine. With that being said, what I've really enjoyed uh, recently, we've had some events where younger girls, elementary and middle school girls who are half Japanese were involved. Um, what was really fun about it is that we did a little movement dance class and then we just sat down and Zoom, we were on Zoom, but we were like eating dinner and just hanging out talking about music and TV and what we've been up to. So it's like we didn't even have to talk about race. You know, we weren't like, so what are the problems that you're having because you're half Japanese? It wasn't like that. Those kinds of workshops are important also, but it's important for kids who are mixed race, mixed race in Japan or anywhere around the world to be able to see themselves in others and to be able to connect on just a humanistic level. I think that's, mm, that's I th- yeah. it's so important. It's yeah. so important, especially that you don't want to. One of the things that's um, quite possible to happen in whether it's a, a community or even just um, from recognizing signals in society is that if all of the people that you know in a group that you love and respect are always asking you about race and always telling you about like oh you know how was how was your race a problem today in you know your life in Japan mm-hmm. that they can then start looking for those things um, so that they can maybe be more part of their group and right. so you know you run the risk there of if it's always talking about something like that um, that you run the risk of kind of making that child life more um race obsessed or more totally uh, yeah exactly i don't know how to explain that yeah yeah i think yeah i think there has to be a balance of the two it is it is something like i've said before it is something we do have to confront our racial identity or gender gender identity um any kind of identity but it is also important to feel community without always having to hone in on one huge topic. So that's what we do with Hoffa Ladies is I've, I've been trying to make it very um, diverse in terms of the women who are involved, um, as well as the workshops and events we hold. So now we have a weekly yoga session. Um, we've done a dance class. We're doing a belly dancing class. Uh, we did a journaling workshop last weekend. Um, and doing a mental wellness workshop and we've done language exchanges. Um, you know, we just get a, a, a lot of variety of events, whatever that people want to talk about or events that they want to see being held and also looking for people who want to lead them as part of the empowerment aspect of our community. Yeah. That's so interesting that you, um, so you mentioned doing language exchanges as well, because when people think of uh, mixed race kids in Japan, I think the Japanese people in general think of that as the one of the parents is American, right? Like that's right. that's like the standard view. Right. And so it's so interesting. I've got friends, um, a friend of mine who I knew in Nagoya, um, she was half Brazilian mm-hmm. and um, her she lived with her mom um, in Japan. Her, her mom was Japanese and she couldn't speak English at all because why would she? She right. grew up partly, partly in Japan, partly in Brazil. And so um, people would, like she she doesn't look particularly Japanese. She looks a lot more foreign than Japanese. So people would offer her English menus everywhere she went, and they talk to her in English, assuming that she spoke English. And she's like, "You can speak to me in Japanese. I speak Japanese just fine. I can't speak English, right?" And people wouldn't even respond to it. They wouldn't get it. They would just they. There's like a mismatch there in the in I guess the collective psyche of understanding 
that mixed race people doesn't necessarily mean English. Yeah, and that's a huge um, misunderstanding and stereotype that I like to mention and try to break as well. And it's something that I myself made a mistake of it in the beginning. I grew up around international school kids, a lot of um, American and Japanese kids. So that was the only experience I knew. And when I moved back to Tokyo, that's when I met other Hafu people who were, you know, Cuban or um, Israeli or Finnish, um, Chinese, Thai, you know, all these different backgrounds. And I realized, oh, like, being half Japanese is actually the, the tie we have. That doesn't mean that everyone speaks Japanese, but that is the tie we have. But that doesn't mean that everyone also speaks English, although there's, you know, this understanding that English is, is or should be the universal language, whether that's, you know, going to happen or not. But um, yeah, I think that's a that's a stereotype that really needs to be needs to be bashed. And um, also understanding that mixed race people don't necessarily mean that they're bilingual and bicultural or multicultural, because a lot of people only know one of their parents' countries as their country or the language, you know? Yeah, I I have a friend as well in in um in Osaka who his his son doesn't really speak English all that well, um and it's it's really interesting to to think, of, you know, for myself because someday I'd like to be a parent, mm-hmm. and to wonder like how how difficult or how different would it be to raise a child in Japan to try and deal and navigate with all of these issues, and and I wonder like how much this is changing in Japan because, um, I read somewhere that um foreigners uh in japan are much more likely to have kids here than japanese people like the birth rate for foreigners in japan is something like 2.3 whereas for for japanese japanese couples um as opposed to mixed race or just foreign couples um it's like 1.3 so um there in a sense like there's going to be more mixed race children growing up in japan or living in japan at least partially or you know in third, the future third culture kids as well if both yeah and that term mind. is such a useful term um from what i've heard a lot of my friends who either grew up in different countries or have um, mixed heritage that term third culture um is is like also kind of similar to what you're doing with the word hafu mm-hmm. is to give them a word to understand the specific situation that they're in exactly. so i wonder how much that's changing in japan how, like do you see that changing a lot or is it uh, you know, one of those, you know, hundred year <laughs> cycles that's going to take a long time to get used to. Well, I do believe that it is changing for sure. Certainly because Japan is not going to be able to survive without people from overseas coming here. And if people from overseas are going to be coming here, living here, working here, the chances of them having children with a local person or with you know, another person from another country or their own, um, the, the chances are just higher. It's just statistically, it makes complete sense. So Japan will have to understand that that's going to become the new normal in Japan, that there that a lot of Japanese public schools are going to see kids who are Filipino or, um, you know, mixed, mixed race hafu or an expat's child those kinds of kids are going to be sitting side by side with quote unquote Japanese, you know, pure Japanese, whatever that means, kids. And, and, that, and that's go- just going to be how it is. So, so Japan will have to start 
um, accepting that and not only accepting, but really understanding and understanding how diverse it's going to become and how inclusive it could become. Yeah, I really want to um, put a uh, like, I really want to try and understand this because I think this is one of those points where it's difficult to know what the truth is of it because sure. on some, to some extent, like I've heard this narrative quite a lot from people saying like Japan needs to accept more immigrants so that they can keep the population going because of population aging mm-hmm. and, uh, and the low birth rate. And I really wonder if people have really wrestled with the idea of what that's about. Like, why is that actually happening? Because it's not that Japanese people are incapable of having children, right? There's no genetic reason why, but there are a lot of social reasons why. Um, and Japan is maybe one of the first countries in the world to, to truly get to this, this level of, not replenishing the population in such right. a drastic way but it's happening in in most developed countries in the world and it just so happens that in japan it's happening more than anywhere else mm-hmm. so i i wonder like this idea that having to accept immigrants is necessarily part of that equation i don't think it's i don't think it's necessarily about having to accept more immigrants but i think people still see japan as a very livable country so you have people who want to live here working as English teachers or coming over uh, working uh, in IT or tech, for example, or working more of the blue collar worker jobs as well, because it pays better than in their home country. Uh, You see a mixture of that. Um, And I think Japan is technically one of the, you know, leading countries in the world. And because of that, there's a, there are a lot of international companies here. So naturally, you are going to have people from overseas, from you know the headquarters of that company, or for or from certain companies or something coming over here. So it's just natural that that movement is happening, and it's a it's a whole globalization thing. I don't think it's just Japan that's seeing that. Um, but I think going back to thinking that Japan needs it, I think. Perhaps, yeah, economically, socially, because of the declining birth rate, but also because of just globalization, you're going to see Japan continue to open up more and, and work with companies from overseas. And, you know, as Japan develops, I think a lot of companies will move over here as, for example, maybe like the Asian headquarters or something, you know? Yeah, it's and it's such an interesting problem to to think about how that's going to affect Japanese culture moving into the future because a lot of Japanese people are really worried about um, the kind of erosion of Japanese culture. Like there are a lot right. of people who don't understand um, Japanese traditions anymore because they they aren't being passed down as much. They aren't being um, looked at as much. And a lot of these, um, are, there are a lot of people who have some kind of nostalgia for a Japan that doesn't exist anymore. And they're worried that that's going to disappear as more foreign influences um, come to Japan. Like there was a really great example was that there was a like a oh, I'm not sure if it's an open letter or if it was um, an actual complaint or actually like a legal action. But there was a group of people who tried to sue NHK, I think, or they wrote a letter to NHK complaining about how many katakana words they were using in <laughs> uh, regular broadcasts, right? Like because right. so many of those words are taken from from English or from foreign languages, and they were using so many of these foreign words that actually didn't like if sometimes if you listen to Japanese and if you understand even just the basics of how katakana works and how it's like a it's like a um it's like finding oh i forgot what the what the term is um but it's it's a phonetic way of 
of right. speaking. And so katakana takes an English word like, um, I don't know. Half, uh, for example. <laughs> yeah, half. half is a great example. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of one that's that's really like um, uh, strange. Like McDonald's, for example. Uh, yeah. In Japan, it's makudonarudo. Yeah. And it sounds really strange until you recognize like, okay, so mac is like maku. And then so you can see like where those parts come together. Right. So the fact that Japanese has had so many of these words, like just, you know, whereas um, Chinese will find a, a kanji for it or right. something and they'll, they'll make it into part of the language in Japan. They're just like, okay, another foreign world. We'll just tack it on with a bunch of, with katakana. And that can be really stressful, especially for older people in Japan who like, don't know what most of these words mean. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Katakana, like writing Western words in katakana, doesn't make sense to me even who is mm. bilingual and can read both Japanese and English. Um, but I think that's really interesting that you, you mentioned about how others are worried about the loss of Japanese culture, because I've heard that as well from Japanese people. But in reality, I think it's, I don't, I don't think that is a huge worry to have because I think there are, both types of people in all cultures around the world. We have Japanese people who are really great um, and passionate about preserving Japanese culture. Uh, and you also have Japanese people who aren't very interested in that or don't really think about that. A lot of Japanese people don't know how to wear kimono, for example, you know, or know the etiquette of a tea ceremony. Uh, so it's not, you know, there are local people who don't know the traditional customs. And then there are um, people from overseas that move to Japan or come to visit Japan, you know, who've been to Japan like 10 plus times, even if they don't live here, who know so much about Japanese culture and history. And maybe they are, you know, um, Aikido masters or they um, are, you know, have learned Japanese pottery. So it's not just limited to Japanese people who can do those things and are interested in doing those things. So I think there's going to be a good blend of those things. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of those people actually come to Japan because they're fascinated by a particular yeah. part of Japanese culture. Yeah. So they uh, and and cultures are naturally changing anyway, right? Like the people don't realize how young many of our cultures are yeah. um and it's so interesting like now that you see I, i've been to a lot of um my friends weddings with you know um their japanese counterparts right mm -hmm. and it's so funny to go to their to go to weddings and see how japanese wedding ceremonies that are influenced by foreign oh, um it's... influences <laughs> how yeah. almost almost comical but just different like so different from what we expect like I've, I've only been to I've been to like maybe three or four weddings in the UK in my life and I come to Japan and how they do like weddings it's it's like there's like five dresses it's not just like one wedding dress that used to be like a you know a, a huge expense like a you know right. thousands of dollars for a dress and it's like that would be just like a big thing for the big day right and, and now yeah. it's like this five dresses and, they and it's like a huge hole and they have Oh yes, the fake chapels as well. Like they're they're very strange with um with an English teacher performing the ceremony because yep. the ceremony doesn't actually have to be done by um a, a justice of the law. And yeah. yeah, it's just like the wedding is completely meaningless in in legal terms here. It's just like you go to the ward office and you fill right. in the form. Right. And so the ceremony is just for the family and for the friends. And so 
you have like these really strange ceremonies that don't match anything you've ever seen before in your life in the countries where those things actually come from. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's super interesting how, how the culture has kind of adapted to foreign influences already in that sense. Yeah, definitely. But I, I don't think Japan should worry so much about the culture being gone. I, I've, I've done a lot of work with uh, uh, revitalization and local regions in Japan and in tourism. And um, there's a lot of preservation and um, revitalization for the traditional Japanese ways of doing things. And um, it's really special and it's really beautiful. And I don't think those things will be lost as long as all, there are people who are trying to save them you know and yeah them. this is a really this is a really complicated issue i kind of want to i want to um stay on it for a bit like the the there are a lot of different things at play so when you talk about like revitalization in regional areas like in japan this has become a really big problem recently that a lot of people talk about is that um because of the economy because of you know Tokyo for example or Osaka like the main cities being where all of the jobs are and the jobs that pay the best money that people are all there's like a mass exodus it's like almost like Tokyo is like a big magnet that pulls people from all over the country and even me like I first moved to Japan and lived in Fukuoka and I really liked it there but um, uh, I moved because of economic reasons. I moved to Nagoya, which is a slightly bigger city. And then I moved to Tokyo, which is a bigger city and, and had much better opportunities here. But um, I really liked Fukuoka. You know, Fukuoka is a really cool place. Right. But um, I know a lot of people who moved to Tokyo just for that. So you see this whole like regional, um, not dis- I don't always use the word destruction, but it's almost like that, right? Like the people... Lot are just leaving these places and they're just empty and there's nobody there. And there's just the old people who don't know how to, they don't want to move from their town. And, and once those people are gone, the, it will be a ghost town because people won't grow up there. There are schools where there's, you know, 12 students in the entire like elementary school because they don't have enough people growing up in those towns anymore. It's all centered around these huge cities. So it's interesting because you say that Japan isn't, at risk of losing their culture but there's definitely like something about urban urbanification in japan that's causing a lot of of cultural change whether that's necessarily bad i don't know well i think there's a few things in play here um one as we've seen through the pandemic is that japan isn't very equipped for work from home and doing a lot of work digitally So up until now, people have had to go to bigger cities for opportunities. Um, But I truly believe that there will be a shift in that mentality. And I think and the other part, I think, is this herd mentality that Japan has, that Japanese culture has. It's, oh, everyone's going there, so I need to go there, you know? It's very much like, oh, my my friends are going to the big city, so I want to move there. Or maybe there are more opportunities and things like that. But I think those things in the culture are going to see a bit of a shift from now on as people realize that you can work more digitally and also you can work as freelancers you can work as um, independent you know company owners or um, independent workers you no longer have to be as dependent on you know uh, going into a major company at 23 and staying there until retirement so I think it's it's slow, but the shift is is happening, 
And I think it's going to happen at a more rapid pace from 2020 on. And with that, I think people will be able to and perhaps want to have a life that's not so much in the major cities. And perhaps with that, we will see more revitalization efforts happening and more people moving into the smaller rural communities. Right, that's super interesting. So you think that um, on some level, COVID-19 and the the response to this and how it's affected the global economy and specifically in Japan, that's actually going to cause the the society to shift more towards rural areas and less towards cities? Yeah, I think so. At least I think in Japan, you're going to see a little bit of that. Um, with that being said, I actually, this is something that I've been wondering for a while, and I don't know enough about it to know the answer. But I wonder, like, in the United States, for example, you still have people living in rural parts of, say, Wyoming, Montana, uh, in places with and not seeing too much of the loss of the community. Um, and I wonder why that doesn't happen, uh, that, that, like, the community isn't lost so much in the United States in those places. They're not struggling, struggling the way Japan is struggling in rural areas. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a really good question. Um, I don't really, because I don't, my Japanese is okay. I understand a little bit about Japanese culture from having lived here for the past seven years, but, um, it, there's something definitely about that, what you said, the herd mentality, the mm-hmm. almost group think that people are like, well, my friends are all moving to the city, so I'm going to move to the city. Mm-hmm. And and I think maybe generation after generation, people have done that. They've moved to the city to join a big company because that's really what's, what's highly regarded in Japanese society exactly. is working for a big company, right? Like people leave university and their parents especially want them rather than being something like a freelancer or a, an entrepreneur, which are maybe in the West is more um, highly regarded. Like if you're scrappy and you're, you're a hustler and you can become one of those like bootstrapping entrepreneurs that builds Mm -hmm. their own company, that's a really cool thing. It's highly respected in the West, but in Japan, being an entrepreneur is not highly respected. It's like, it's like saying you're unemployed, you know, it's kind of like being an, being a musician uh, in the West. Right. Again, it's, it's going back to the uncertainty avoidance theory of Japan. Japan avoids uncertainty so much. So when you're a, you know, when you're taking a risk by becoming an entrepreneur or not having that um, cushy or at least secure job that that um, that promises you job until re- retirement, people are going to become worried. Parents are going to be worried because they don't know if their child is going to be successful, if they're going to be able to put food on the table. And people aren't willing to take those risks because, again, they don't know what the outcome will be. Right. And do you think that um, young people now, this attitude is starting to change? Because one of the things that I've noticed um, from just from teaching high school level kids um, and talking to young people is that the idea of working for a big company for their whole lives and being miserable and not enjoying their work Mm -hmm. is actually like uh, a worrying prospect for a lot of kids and their parents might be pushing them towards doing those things. But I've taught students who, you know, have a dream they have a passion something they really want to follow and their parents are like no go to university go to medical school do this become a doctor because that's what i did and it's a good job and you can get paid forever and and they always need doctors kind of thing right right? um and i wonder to what extent and how quickly especially how quickly given like not only the current situation but how quickly japanese population is aging how can young people in this country actually start to take control of their lives and stop being part of this 
um, this weird like cradle to grave um, like rail track society, you know, where you just right. go from from the right schools to the right university to the right job and never really have that much agency in your own life. Yeah, I think that Japan still does put emphasis on brands. So brand name school, brand name company, as well as women carrying around brand name purses and things you know it, it right. is so even status. more of an extent than the u.s right yeah. like because the u.s is like the the ivy league schools like harvard and stuff still have that brand name but actually a lot of people are kind of moving away from that yeah. and there's a whole like Absolutely. um I, I forgot what the term is but like there are a lot of people not wanting to send their kids to university even peter teal offering something like a um dropout fellowship where if you drop out yeah. of university and start working it's like that's that's considered a, an option now whereas in japan the idea of like a a kid not going to university is like well you're going to destroy your life you know well you also have to look at the financial burden in the united states um college is a money-making machine and i say that with respect i do um i do i did enjoy higher education i plan on going back for my master's um but it is a massive massive payment and in japan it's not as expensive um, and something like over 90% of people in Japan, I think, go to college. And in the United States, it's, I think it's something like 30% or something. Maybe it's a little higher. Um, but I think it's, it's something around, it's around 45 or 50%, okay. but it depends on the year. Yeah. And it totally, it's just, it's still very different. Right. Uh, and right. so to go to college here is kind of just part of finishing off your education system. Meanwhile, actually, I don't think master's are like graduate programs are as um as prominent as in the united states so far right um, i can imagine in japan like unless you're already on track to do something like that like a master's degree or a medical degree or a phd mm-hmm. that um a lot of people will finish university and do the shukatsu the um, yes. job search yeah. from their second uh, from the third year and fourth year yeah. and then they'll just go out and work um and they'll they'll work for that one company for the rest of their lives so i wonder if like how educational pro- proliferation in the u.s is is also a big problem right is that it used to be that you could do something with a bachelor's degree and now you need a master's or a phd to do right. that same thing right. um i wonder in japan like how how much that affects people's attitudes here towards not only education but also work because like work is such a huge part of japanese culture it's such an, uh, such a, a big part of the culture it seems like unless you go into specified spe- uh, specific fields such as engineering or in the medical field, the degree you get in college doesn't matter so much here, mm. less than in the United States. Like I remember, so I did a study abroad at Sofia University in Tokyo, and I remember talking to a local Japanese student there, and she told me that she's studying communications. And I was I, I was also studying communications. So I was like, Oh, what are you going into? You know, PR or advertisement? Like, what do you what are you going to do? And she's like, Oh, nothing with my degree. It doesn't matter. I'm just gonna go into an office job. And wow, even a student actually still studying was like, yeah. I it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I was very shocked to hear that. It 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 was um Perhaps, you know, they're still studying that subject because they enjoy it, but it doesn't mean that it's going to land them a career that they're also passionate in. Um, So Mm -hmm. that was really surprising to me to hear. 
That's really interesting in Japan, and I wonder how much of that,、um, especially for young women here,、um, how much of that is connected to the sort of more traditional Japanese、um, societal responsibilities, where a lot of young women are expected to work for a couple of years and then find a husband and get married and settle down and have kids,、right. because that's still, even though、um, obviously that's changed a lot in the West, that's changed a lot.、Um, In other countries, and it's not like a, the standard story anymore. In Japan, that still very much is the standard story. It is.、Um, you hear about women not wanting to go to the highly regarded colleges because it will be harder for them to find a husband. You know, because Japan still has a stigma that women can't be smarter or the breadwinner of the family. That's so sad, and it's such a shame. And we, we even now, where for example, the the governor of Tokyo, Yoriko Koike, is like quite、um, highly regarded in terms of just she's she lived overseas, she speaks English well,、and、she's、Arabic. quite educated, she and Arabic. I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah see, so she's got she's multi talented.、Yeah. Um, and to have people like that, like more and more in in positions of. Of um of not only of power but of of respect,、mm-hmm. and then to still have um you know you hear things like um the in the parliament people telling um like MPs uh to go off and have kids or something, and、yeah. and that kind of that kind of like it's a it's a really weird it's a really weird and difficult problem right because it's in Japan it's so hierarchical in the sense that. Not only is it a hierarchy; it's not really a hierarchy of competence, like it might be in foreign countries where the people who are, have the best advantages get ahead. In Japan, it's just about age. The older you、yeah. are, the more in charge you are. Which is shocking, and, right? <laughs> I get yeah, it. Yeah, especially for why, especially for us from a Western perspective, right? Because we've been brought up on this meritocracy, this idea that、mm-hmm. if you're good at something, if you work hard, you should get ahead.、Mm-hmm. Whereas in Japan. Working hard is kind of like the—it's like a given,、right. especially if you're working for a Japanese company. It's like working hard for them just means being there all the time and showing that you're you're committed. It's—it's it's it, like a—it's like a fealty pledge every is, day. Is, is it really working hard though? I'm—I mean, I—I I, I completely believe that there are a lot of hard workers, but the time you stay in the office doesn't equate to more work being done or harder working. Yeah, I、no. I completely agree. It's working long hours as opposed to、right. um, actually accomplishing something for your company, and this is one of the things that's really it's like a it's a weird multifaceted problem, right? right. Is that a lot of people the culture、um, values working for long hours and not leaving before the boss leaves, and the boss、right. is always a workaholic.、Right. But on top of that,、um, the actual product that you're creating, like the your work product, isn't really highly. Um, scrutinized,、um, and even in some companies that you know I've、um, talked to with、uh, consulting friends of mine, that some companies having、um, metrics that measure the productivity and the the work product of their staff, they don't understand what the value of them is, and they don't use them.、Wow. So consulting co- companies will go into a company and say, you know, you should figure out who are the best people at this job and put them into more, you know, roles like this, and you should figure out this. And they don't understand the value of it, and the systems fall apart as soon as the consultants leave. Wow,、um, that's wow! I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard that story from a few different、um, consultants that I've worked with and that、yeah. I've talked with in the past, and so I wonder like how. How do we change those kind? And maybe "we" is a is a、um, loaded term there because I don't I, think yeah, as a I foreigner、agree. that I have that much control over that. But given the crisis that we're now facing with with COVID nineteen and how、uh, big companies who are totally focused on the 
domestic market and don't have as much wiggle room now to keep on paying all of these people who aren't producing anything of value. Um, how is that going to affect employment rates in Japan? How is that going to affect the work culture in Japan as we move forward, where they won't be able to afford to keep on just having a huge staff that don't do anything particularly productive? You know, I I really can't speak for those companies and analyze what they're going to do. But what I feel like is going to happen, and this kind of goes back to uh, people choosing to become freelance or entrepreneurs, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more game changers and movers and shakers in Japanese society, as we've seen in other countries as well, um, where the creative minds, the innovative minds come and see that, you know, this system isn't working, we know how to fix it. So they start their own company where they're going to elevate and accelerate more than those traditional companies who aren't able to adapt to the way things are happening nowadays, you know? Do you think Japanese culture and especially like Japanese business culture is open to that now and more open to it than it was before? Because from from my understanding, the the West has a really like small business built America kind of ideal. Right. Whereas Japan is it's a lot more closed off. Um, and the companies actually do um, like hold monopolistic power, mm-hmm. and they're and it's enforced in a in a way that that in the West would probably have more government oversight. I'm not so sure, but I can say that I think there are companies and individuals in Japanese businesses and societies that are becoming a lot more open-minded that are a lot more trusting to to truly put the trust in the hands of professionals so with with uh working in inbound tourism for myself a lot of regional um organizations are putting trust in um consulting firms that are you know tourism inbound consulting firms that are run by uh foreign people who have lived in Japan for 20 plus years, for example. And they know that these people understand Japanese culture and respect it and also understand the outsider's perspective. And therefore, they can the, the local uh, organizations can put their trust in these people to come up with the plan that's going to help revitalize. Um, and I think that, that hopefully will be the case with... Um, corporations and off and companies as well is that at some point they will start actually uh understanding what the consultants are saying and making changes that are going to elevate the companies but i i, I can't speak for that I, I i'm not a professional in that field these are just my speculations yeah it's really interesting being a foreigner in japan and seeing how like even in the short time i've been here how much things have changed um totally and, and it's weird because from a international perspective, like other people look at Japan and they think like, okay, well, Japan is slow to change. Like everything takes generations and, and it's partly because of the decision-making structures in Japan. But, mm-hmm. you know, even being here for a short amount of time, there are a lot of benefits to being in systems that um, have a kind of, um, even if it's not as functional as we might like it to be, that have those kind of 
um, system set up. So a great example is um, in construction in Japan. If you look, like everywhere is building all the time. It's constantly getting modernized. It's constantly growing and building. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, back in my home of the UK, like you can't you can't put an extra story on your house because it takes four years to get planning permission. You know, like it's it's right. a completely different thing. Right. But in Japan, like people are building all the time. So there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of benefits to that as well. So I don't want to, I don't want us to come across as like Japan bashes. Because oh, I, I completely are, agree. Know. I mean, I, there's a reason why I've been here for so long and respect the culture and love it so much. I was supposed to be here for one year, five years ago, and I'm still here. Oh my God, that's the same story as me. <laughs> it, it, it's like, you know, 80% of our, like, of uh, of our stories right and i don't see myself necessarily leaving japan anytime soon and i think yes with any culture um there are things that could be done better but i think overall japan you know is so great because it is a beautiful country it is so safe and the people are just so kind and um you know regardless of the fact that you know at the beginning we talked about discrimination and things i think overall people here are just absolutely so kind and so great and i can't really see myself feeling safer in any other country socially and physically so and i think that's why we actually why we are so passionate about these kinds of things and i think why so many foreigners um who maybe see themselves staying here for a long time or even the rest of their lives why they get so passionate about things like discrimination or like the the strange working cultures here is because they care so much because they want to stay here and they want to make it better yeah and they want to contribute to making the society better um in in whatever ways they may uh deem that so having something like half food ladies is a really useful thing because it not only helps those individuals to kind of like reconcile their identity with how they're living in japan but it can also be a a kind of symbol to people outside that there are better ways to deal with it than how japan traditionally has dealt with it and that's all for the better for japanese culture and for the people living here yes absolutely 